Merry Christmas, everyone. It's a real privilege for me to be a part of this uh, series, Christmas, from waiting to celebrating. And some people ask me, David, if you're a Jew for Jesus, do you celebrate Christmas or do you celebrate Hanukkah? My answer is yes. <laughs> I get the best of both worlds. And it's uh, this idea of waiting that has intrigued me because for us, we're thinking about it today perhaps as a matter of days or weeks that we're waiting. But when it comes to my Jewish people, waiting for the Messiah has been the foundation of our spiritual experience, the unfolding of the drama of our history. God has promised us a Messiah. And we hope for His coming. We long for His coming. There's even a wistfulness about it because of the experience of the Jewish people through the ages. If you ever saw Fiddler on the Roof, the movie or the play, there's this very poignant scene where towards the end, the village of Anatevka is about to be overrun by a pogrom, the attack against the Jewish people living there. And all the people are getting ready to leave to flee for their lives. And in this moment, one of the students asks the rabbi, Rabbi, wouldn't this be a perfect time for the Messiah to come? Yes, my son, the rabbi answers, but it looks like we'll just have to wait for him somewhere else. And that idea of waiting for the Messiah on the other side of his coming has been that cornerstone of our expectation, our hopefulness. And yet, for those of us who know him, we're on this side of his coming. And it's what spurs me, what motivates me to be able to share with my people that the one we've been waiting for has come. And his name is Yeshua, Jesus. And you know what I think is that all of us who know him, who are on this side of Christmas and knowing that we're waiting for celebration this month, we can still have that same entering in to the drama as we wait. It's not a matter of just getting caught up in all of the, what's going around us in our culture, but there's this long drama, this sense of expectation and anticipation that God invites us into even now in these days and weeks. And there's a really cool passage from the New Testament that kind of points this out. It's in your handout. Peter writes to those early believers in Jesus about this salvation. Now, of course, Jesus or Yeshua is the word in Hebrew for salvation. So he could just as much be saying this Jesus was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their message, messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is all so wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. So you get this sense that, well, first of all, the very ones whom God used to give us the messages, the prophets themselves, as they were speaking, were like, 
what does this really mean? You know, they're wondering. There's a sense of awe and expectation. God invites us into that. To look into his word and see the gems, the pearls, the little blips of light, messages of hope that he sent all along the way to tell us he's coming. He's coming. But not only the prophets, the angels themselves, the heavenly hosts, Peter tells us, are eagerly looking, waiting, anticipating. That's the kind of entering in that God invites us to do even in these days. Not to be bogged down by all the other fluff and frill of our culture, but actually to realize we're part of a much greater story that is worth wondering over. And what was God doing all this time? He wasn't just waiting, was he? He was preparing. And that's why I entitled this message, How God Prepared for Christmas. Because God did three things that I think help us to understand the context that we're in and entering as we wait and celebrate. First of all, he prepared a people. Think about it. Apart from the Jewish people, none of this story would be our story either. But a long, long time ago, God called this man named Abram to follow him. And Abraham obeyed. And God said, I'm going to bless you. And you know what? In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. And the children of Abraham are in existence to this very day because of God's intention to raise them up to be a blessing to everyone. And in the same breath that God promised that blessing, he also gave not just a people, but a place. All of these wonderful events and all of these stories and all of these pictures and pearls were in a place, a place that you can go see today, the land of Israel. And the story unfolded there. And the miracles were performed there. And the prophets spoke and Jesus came there. And we can see God working and preparing and bringing evidence to the fore so that we can believe, even today, go and see where all this occurred and where it will all be resolved in the end. And then most importantly of all, God prepared this special person. The advent means the coming of a very important person, in fact, the most important person in all of human history. And we're going to look at just one of those notes of hope that God laid in his scriptures in the Bible, in the Older Testament in this case, and in Micah. Micah chapter 5. This is the story of where Messiah was to be born, which we all know as Bethlehem, but it comes, this little word of hope, in the midst of a dark time for Israel. And so we want to see the context and understand the people and the place and the person which all are unveiled in this great story. Micah says, mobilize, marshal your troops. The enemy is laying siege to Jerusalem. They will strike Israel's leader in the face with a rod. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, are only a small village among all the people of Judah, yet a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past, will come from you on my behalf. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. Then at last his fellow countrymen will return from exile to their own land. 
and he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed, for he will be highly honored around the world, and he will be the source of peace. This Micah, a very short five chapters, was a very significant prophet who actually wrote at the same time as Isaiah, whom Lewis spoke of last week. It was 700 years before the birth of Jesus in the city of Bethlehem that he was speaking. And during this time, Israel was under the thumb of foreign domination, particularly the Assyrians were the mighty power to the north. And in this context, we find that the biblical record tells us that one of the kings of Syria, Sennacherib, actually did lay siege to Jerusalem, as verse 1 tells us is happening. They were surrounded. In fact, there's an archaeological find that is now in the British Museum that says Sennacherib writing, I have King Hezekiah trapped like a bird in a cage. And of course, that was what the reference was that Micah was talking about. There's a dark time. This is the context in which, and in fact, the, the king, Hezekiah, that's the one who was referenced to as being smitten with a rod in the face. It's kind of a, a picture, if you will, of humiliation, not only for the king himself, but for all of the people. And that is the context in which this beautiful, bright light, this pearl, this glistening image comes of this other place. Jerusalem is the capital. That's where all the attention of the people are focused. But you know what? There's another place. You, Bethlehem. Bethlehem Ephrata. Now Bethlehem in Hebrew means house of bread. Isn't it interesting that the one who would be called the bread of life is to be born in the house of bread? But Ephrata is merely a statement about which Bethlehem it was. At that time, there were two Bethlehems, one in the north, and then Bethlehem Ephrata, which is about six miles south of the city of Jerusalem. And so it was significant that the people know that because, you see, that was also the birthplace of King David, actually 300 years earlier from when Micah was writing. David was born there, and David becomes the prototype of the Messiah. Jesus is called the son of David because he was the greatest king in Israel's history. And the Messiah was to be king. And so in the minds of Jewish people, the Messiah has always been this kingly character, this one who's going to ride in on a white horse and solve all of our problems and give us a four-day work week. You know? <laughs> but actually, this Messiah, this child who is born, Micah almost smacks us in the face because he uses two words in the Hebrew that bring out an irony that people are still wrestling with today. The two words that are used in this verse are kedem, which means ancient, and haolam, which means from eternity. And you see that somewhat referenced in the translation there. But here's a baby born in Bethlehem, the city of David, six miles south, a sleepy little town that nobody really pays much attention to, but he's ancient, an ancient baby from eternity. <coughs> what is he saying? 
that this baby is not just going to be a king, but he is, in fact, divine. God himself has come. And that is the power of the hope of this promise nestled in the midst of a dark, dark time for the Jewish people. And the passage goes on to talk about all that that would mean in verses 3 and 4. The people of Israel will be abandoned to their enemies. Well, people at Micah's day would say, yeah, we already are. Uh Uh-huh. And certainly when Jesus was born... It wasn't the Assyrians who were in charge, it was the Romans. They'll be abandoned to their enemies until the woman in labor gives birth. There's that interesting phrase that Isaiah also repeats several times. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Isaiah 7.14. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. Isaiah 9.6. There's this motif of a promise that's wrapped in the birth of a child. And this woman and child signal hopefulness, new life, promise that's yet to come. And that's what we find here echoed in Micah. Then at last, he says, his fellow countrymen, that is the one who's born, will return from exile to their own land. Exile has been the experience of the Jewish people for thousands of years. It was true when Micah was writing. The Jewish people have been in exile from the Syrians, from the Babylonians, from the Romans, and only until modern times, this past decade in fact, have there been more Jewish people for the first time living inside of Israel than outside. This is kind of a current thing, as you can see. And it's connected to the birth of the baby But look at what it goes on to say. And he will stand to lead his flock with the Lord's strength in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. Then his people will live there undisturbed. Well, that's not happening yet, is it? Oh, no. Still a lot of trouble in that part of the world. But that's going to happen because of this baby that was born. For he will be highly honored around the world and he, he will be the source of peace. Not a bargaining, not a negotiation, not a division of land or resources, but this one. And that creates a bit of mystery for us, doesn't it? Because we see that the Messiah has been born and that the people are returning to the land and yet he's not ruling on the earth. The shepherd has not yet taken his place and the people are still not living undisturbed. How do we understand that? Well, the rabbis looked at this and said, you know what? There must be two messiahs. The one who's going to be born as a baby and the one who's going to ride in on the white horse. But what we understand is that there is one messiah and he's coming twice. And there is throughout scripture what we call the now and not yet of prophecy. God is giving to the people of Israel in their context of difficulty a promise. And the promise is for them now, but not yet. 
And we who are on this side of the birth of Jesus in Bethlehem and fulfillment of this prophecy of Micah are also experiencing a now, but not yet. If you think about it, have you ever seen in the distance two mountain peaks? Sometimes, you know, in the glow of a sunset or something, they almost look like they're kissing, they're touching, you know? And, but if you get in a car or take a long hike and you get to the first mountain, you notice actually they're really far apart. From a distance they look close, but when you get up to the first one, there's a big valley and a long distance between the other. And that is a picture of what prophecy does for us, to give us the scope of a stretch of God's plan for all of humanity, but there's a now and there's a not yet. And as we think about our waiting and celebrating, I just have a few things that I'd like to encourage us to consider coming from this passage and from the unfolding of this great drama. First of all, let's realize that we are living and let's choose to live in the understanding of the now and the not yet. For those of us who have embraced this one who was born, Jesus the Messiah, we have the now, we have the peace that Jesus promised to give us in our hearts, which is where it needs to begin. But it doesn't take a lot to look around the world and see that this is not a peaceful place that we're living in. And how do we live with that? How do we reconcile ourselves to that? It should be for us a sign of hope. In, in a sense, you can look at the exile of the Jewish people as a metaphor for the existence, for the spiritual life of all of God's people. We've been called by his name. We've been made his own precious possession. But we haven't yet received all that we have inherited. Where's, there's the now and there's the not yet. We're in exile, if you will, waiting for that second mountain. We're in the valley, you see. And when we understand that, it puts a context around everything that we might be enduring right now. And I don't know each of us has a different story and a different challenge in life. We come into this season of waiting before Christmas and there may be a family member who's ill and we have to go and care for them. Or there may be a financial problem that we're encountering. You know, when we get together with family, all of these things come rushing at us and we almost don't even have the time to deal with it because everything else is happening. It's a busy season. How do we anchor ourselves in those moments to be in a position to receive what God wants to give us in the quietness, in the stillness? Well, let's realize that we are living in the now and the not yet. We have every reason to hope because Jesus has come. He was born in Bethlehem, just as the prophet said. He's the son who is our peace. But we're still waiting. We're still waiting. And we can wait with great hope. The second thing is that we should let Christmas invade our lives. Now, I know that word invade is kind of a strong word. 
militaristic. It's kind of the context that Micah begins his passage with. There's an invasion happening. And we have that too, don't we? I don't know what's invading your life, but I mean, everything from, you know, Black Friday to Cyber Tuesday or Cyber Wednesday, Monday, whatever it is, (laughs) and all of the advertising in between. And, you know, we can get overwhelmed by this invasion of cultural phenomenon. Let's not let that happen this year. Let's allow the true spirit of Christmas, the Christ of Christmas, to invade our lives and to change the way we imagine our waiting and celebrating. You know, I grew up in a Messianic Jewish home. I come from a family of Jews who've believed in Jesus. My parents live in Jerusalem. And we did celebrate Hanukkah and Christmas in my home. And my dad did something that really changed my perspective on this season. Um, you know, and, and what is the dominant theme, especially for kids of this season, but it's, it's getting presents, right? Presents, presents, presents. And this consumer mindset begins at a very early stage in life. Here's what my dad did. Instead of wrapping presents with the typical wrapping paper, he would wrap with white construction paper and sit up late at night before the events of the gift giving and would write and draw pictures with markers. And he was pretty good at it. And he used calligraphy to put words on the packages that kind of had a double meaning that made us think. Now, the first thing that happened is, if your present is wrapped by your dad, who did all this work to do it, you can't just run in and rip it open, right? (laughs) I didn't want to hurt my dad's feelings. None of us, my two sisters. So we would kind of take time and and look at it and go, wow, dad, that's pretty good. And, And it was. And we'd read the words aloud. Words like wonderful, (laughs) which as a kid, wonderful, wow, there's something inside this box that's wonderful, right? But no, it also meant that God said the Messiah was going to be called Wonderful Counselor. Eternity. What is that? Well, that's what Micah promised the Messiah would be. And so as we look at the box and as we appreciate the wrapping, we recognize that there's a story unfolding. That the words begin to form a mosaic of a picture that God has drawn throughout history of the one who was to come, the one who has come, the one that we celebrate, the one who is God's best gift ever. And the wrapping is a symbol of the willingness of God himself to wrap himself in human form that he might be appreciated by us. And whatever it is that you choose to do to incorporate into your own traditions regarding this season, do something that sets you apart and sets that moment apart from what otherwise would just be part of the, you know, the scenery of Christmas. Uh, It might be something as simple as turning on the app to receive the daily devotions from Cornerstone and taking time, whether it be the morning or the evening, to look and, and to think and to ponder and to wonder and to anticipate the one who was, is, and will come. Let's let Christmas invade our lives. The fact that the creator of the universe entered into our humanity, mostly unwelcome, 
and unbidden means that we need to welcome him in ourselves, don't we? He won't force his way, even in this season. But let's welcome him. Let's take the time to allow him to invade our thoughts and our minds and hearts. Let's create space for that. He's wonderful. One of the words my dad put on was treasure. (laughs) Treasure. Oh, what is it, you know? But the Bible says of Jesus that in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And finally, let's keep Christmas weird. (laughs) Now, I recognize there's a a, a little counterintuitiveness to that. I remember the first time that word settled in my mind. I was in fifth grade, and I was trying to win the affections of a cute little girl. And she looked at me and said, Brickner, you're weird. (laughs) I can still feel the heat rising, you know. But the word in its original English, spelled without the E in it, actually meant something odd and different and perhaps even supernatural because of that very interesting. And it's been co-opted by Portland and Austin today. Let's keep Portland weird, you know? (laughs) It's cool, man. But in a sense, think about the idea of a baby being born. Have you ever tried to wrap your mind around the fact that God chose to enter human existence, the creator of all there is, in the helpless form of a baby boy? And I don't think that we consider that enough in all of the rush to celebrate. I think in one sense, this whole reality has been domesticated we look at the creche and we see this, you know, pastoral image of the baby and, you know, in the manger and the shepherds and the Mary and Joseph and the sheep and all of this. And it looks so nice and welcoming. But in reality, it was a stark and dark time. And yet it was so powerful that it's weird. I remember talking to a uh, a skeptic once about this very thing. He says, do you believe that Jesus is God? I said, yes, I do. And then he said, well, don't you think it's weird that God had to have his mother change his diapers? I was a bit taken back. I thought it was very irreverent and <laughs> uh, a bit offensive. But I just found myself saying to that man, I don't have a problem with it. And I wish I could have that moment back. If he was here, (laughs) what I would say to this skeptic is I would say, sir, you have put your finger on one of the most startling realities of the incarnation, of the birth of Messiah. And you see, the prophets told us that it was God's intention that Messiah would be God come to earth in the form of human being so that he would endure all the indignities of human experience. Believe me, diapers is the least of them. What was it that led Jesus from that place in Bethlehem to the cross in Jerusalem? What was it that caused him to endure the suffering and the pain? He was rejected, you see, 
so that we could be accepted. He suffered so that we could be delivered and given all that God intends for us, all the hope and all the promise that was wrapped in that baby is now available to us, forgiveness and the hope of heaven. I don't know if he would have stayed to listen to me. But wouldn't it be great if God gave us the opportunity to talk about that with somebody as we wait? Oh, he's coming. He's coming. And Micah tells us that when he comes, this one will be our peace. But as we wait in the now and not yet, we are reminded, even at this season, as we wait to let the peace of Christ rule in our heart. To this, we've been called in Jesus' name. In a moment, the, we're going to have our time of giving and the band is going to come back and sing a song that's been especially written for this weekend by our very own Shannon. And I think you'll find it to be very meaningful. But before they come, let's pray. Thank you, God. Thank you for this opportunity that you've given to us to reflect, to step back from the press of all that our surrounding culture thinks that this season means, and that as we wait on you, we can experience renewal, refreshing, and peace. We pray, God, that that peace that passes all understanding that is ours now because the Prince of Peace was born in Bethlehem, that this same peace would emanate, would flow, would well up from within us and actually touch the lives of those around us who need that message. We know that a day is coming soon when your peace will be finally and fully established. And we long for that day. We wait for that day too. But in the meantime, Lord, as we wait to celebrate your birth, May we have all the hope and all the anticipation of the good things that you've brought and will continue to bring in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.